It's a joy to be here this morning. I have to tell you that, uh, well, first off, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For those who are here on uh, um, Wednesday nights, you know that we have been walking through whenever I'm preaching in uh, 2 Timothy. And we got up to verse 7, and I told you that I was going to develop it even more and seek the Lord over it. I just didn't know it would be this Sunday uh, that I would be here. Um, I have to tell you that uh, obviously Brother Fred is uh, under the weather, and we need to be praying for him, um, that he will get better and that the Lord will heal him. Um, but I have to share with you that when I got the, the phone call yesterday afternoon that I would be teaching today, um, I sat there and I said, Lord, I know um, that you are able, uh, but 12 hours doesn't seem um, doable. And uh, the Lord just reminded me of who he was. I do want to share that it is my, uh, sometimes, you know, you see this person up here on stage, but you don't really see all the people behind the scenes. And the fact that yesterday when uh, my plans was to spend time with my family because they were leaving to go out of town. Um, all of a sudden, my wife changed all of her plans in order to stay home with the kids so I could run to the, my uh, office or wherever you want to call it, get on my face and seek the Lord all day. And it wasn't until 10.30 at night last night that the Lord spoke to me and said, here it is. And I said, well, thank you. It's 10.30. <laughs> and so I texted my mentor and then I fell asleep. I woke up this morning and he said at 12.01, and I didn't see it till this morning, but he said, amen, that's it. And I said, okay. So then I had to really develop it, which that was this morning. Um, so it is a joy to that the Lord has an incredible word for us this morning. I pray that, that you will hear what is being spoken. I do want to start with my life, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says that preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the dip spirit and of power, so that your faith on the wisdom of man, but yet on the power of God. That is my prayer today. That is my prayer every time I speak. So let's go to the Lord and just pray, and let's get started. God, we're so thankful for the blood of the Lamb. God, the blood of the Lamb, we don't deserve it, but God, you loved us with an unconditional agape love. Lord, though we were prodigal sons, though we were running from the Father, you came, sent your Son, that we may have life. So, Lord, we study the word of God. We know that without you speaking, God, so, God, I pray right now, Lord, that you will speak my, my words, but your words, O oh Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Second Timothy chapter 7. Today we're going to go through one verse of the Bible. Okay? Good. I don't have a timer or a clock, so we are good to go. All right. It says, for God us a spirit of fear, power, and love, and discipline. Now, for some of us, the King James obviously says fear. The ASB says timidity. Um, the word there, fear, when you look it up, it means like kind of to kind of step back, like to, to be what's going to take place. And so you don't move forward back. You begin to worry. You begin to fear what's going to take place. And so you, you stop. This scripture, this one verse right here is a verse that so often when people are talking or teaching on fear... Fear there is actually used in the negative. There are only it is used like this in the Greek to mean a negative fear. Because obviously the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. The scripture tells us that. And so there are times the, the word fear is used. And it's used in a different way. But 
The way it was written in the Greek, the way that it was spoken is a negative fear. God has not given us a spirit on Wednesday night, just kind of setting the table for us. Speak on this. It is that God has not somebody, if we have fear that is not of God, then given us a spirit of fear. I want you to see that you kind of have to kind of run back a little to verse 5 and 6 whenever you're studying this. If you just go to verse 7, you can teach a very topical message here. I understand that. But if you really want to get the idea of what Paul is speaking, you have to go back to verse 5 and 6. See, in verse 5, he says that I am reminded of the faith that's in you, the sincere, the real faith that's in you. And then he talks about the legacy of his mother and his I'm reminded of the faith in you, the sincere faith. So with him being reminded of the severe, sincere faith, in fact, we see, for this reason, I remind afresh the gift which is through in you through the laying on of hands. Five, we see that I'm reminded of the sincere faith. We see in verse six that, I, that I'm praying that you will akindle, to, to bring forth to a blaze. I'm talking like, have you all ever seen fire that's going out and somebody goes and starts to breathe on the fire? What does that oxygen do to the fire? It'd be back up. And so for some of us today, as we talked about Wednesday night, and I'm not going to go there just because we've already discussed it, but as we talked Wednesday night, for some of us, we need the breath of God to, to rekindle the fire that's inside of us. Some of us are a dim flame. Prayer today is that we have a bonfire in here. So he says, I see your sincere faith. I kindle afresh the gift. And then he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. So what I believe is that, not, that he's not necessarily said, like, listen, Timothy is fearful in this moment. He may be very much be very fearful. But what I believe that he is saying in this moment is Paul is speaking to Timothy, a father's son, and he's saying to him, listen, because of the faith, the spirit of God that dwells inside of you and the gifts that you have and that God has given you to go share the gospel as he's called us to, Don't be fearful of it. Don't be fearful. Because God's given you everything you need through the faith that He has placed inside of you and through the gifts that He has placed upon you. Do not be fearful because God hasn't given you that. What He has given you, and the Scripture says in verse 7, He's given you a spirit of power, love, and discipline. See, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, later on, it tells us in verse 5, it says... But you be sober in all things, endure hardships, and do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. See, Paul is telling him and telling all of us that our job is to do the work of the evangelist. God has called every one of us to fulfill our ministry, and that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so because of the faith that's in him, and because of the gifts, God's already given him everything he needs to go forth and share the gospel, Paul is then saying, There's no reason that you should fear. There's no reason. Because God doesn't give you fear. God gives you power, love, and a sound mind. You know, whenever we allow ourselves to fear moving forward, it's because we've allowed our eyes to be focused on the wrong thing. See, the scripture tells us that God is truth, that Jesus is truth, that the word of God is truth. I am the way truth, right, and the life. 
Alright, so I am the way, the truth. God is truth. The word of God is truth. It even says in Titus that God cannot lie. And then we could go forward and it says that all scripture is God breathed. Right? 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, I believe that is. All scripture is God breathed. Right. So we also so we know that we have the breath of God. The voice of truth is the word of God. Let me ask you this question. Do you know the voice of truth? See, many of us, whenever I ask that question, do you know the voice of truth? The first answer is yes, I know God's voice. But do you really know the voice of truth? Like, do you know this right here? Do you know it? Because when fear comes upon you, which God did not give you, but the evil one, Satan, does try to place upon you, the only way to defeat the the spirit of fear that tries to run after you is by knowing the voice of truth. Like, you have to be able to defeat it with truth. How do you defeat a lie? If you're being framed for something in court, you bring evidence of the truth and the truth will counteract the lie. And then guess what happens? The judge sees the truth and then you're set free. If, if, if God sets you free, we need to know the truth in order to come a father of all lies. What are things that we that we were love or that we we, we don't move forward because of? I wrote down a few things part as I was preparing or wrote down a few things on paper as I was preparing. One of the things that we're sometimes fearful of is that we focus on life. I may die. You know, it seemed to me that people feel safer in a car than they do an airplane. But statistically, which is more Is it more safe? It's not more safer. Safest. An airplane. Statistically, an airplane is safest or safer. Oh, my English days. Somebody asked me if I knew Spanish. I told them I'm still working on English. Um, anyways. People more afraid. Is anybody fearful? And I want to raise your hand of flying an airplane. Not too many people. Good. Listen, I've been on an airplane with student ministry here, Luke 4, 8, into a tropical storm. And I'm telling you, I thought life was over. But let me tell you why we're more fearful to fly than we are to drive. Because when you fly, you have no control. You know, now after 9-11, they locked that door. You cannot open that door. There's two pilots on the inside who are controlling the lift and the descent of that airplane. But in a car, we feel like, I've got control. Some of y'all may say, I don't really have control, David. Well, we'll pray for you. Maybe you'll get off the road. But here's the thing. In a car, you feel like you've got control behind the wheel. But ultimately, statistically, it's safer in an airplane. The reason I tell you this is that we, we worry, we fear, well, Lord, I, I don't want to move forward because I'm so scared that I may die. But yet, really, the truth is, is that life and death is in God's hands. When I ran the Ironman, I promised my wife, and this was two years ago when I ran the Ironman, I promised my wife I wouldn't die. She goes, David, I'll let you sign up as long as you don't die. I said, I promise I won't die. And I realized real quickly at the last 16 miles when I was doing everything I could to A, stay alive, and B, get to the finish line. And I was scared to death that I was going to die. And later I went back and I said, why was I so afraid to die? I'm not afraid to go see Jesus. I'm like so ready. And I realized it's because I had told my wife something that I could not. I had no control over. I told my wife I wouldn't die, but I had no control over it. See, we get fearful 
about what's going to happen. What if we die? We're not going to go here or there or do this or that because we could lose our life. But God's saying, hey, if you believe the book of Job, the voice of truth, then you realize that life and death is in his hands. It's all throughout scripture that nothing can happen to us without it first going before the throne of God. So how do you defeat the lie, the worry, the fear that something may happen to us? What about the worry or fear of if? Has anybody ever dealt with the word if? Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Or what if that happens or this happens? Ah, and like next thing you know, you're like paralyzed. Like I've tried as hard as I could to get rid of the word if out of my vocabulary. And every day... I am tempted with dwelling on the ifs. If this happens, then, then this and this and this and that and this. And how many times does if really happen? Have y'all ever done like a, a test on, on all the time mind, but yet it never really happens? You want to know why if comes to our mind? It's because it wants to put worry and fear on us to paralyze us from doing ministry that we're called to do. So let me give you this. If. Alright, so if happens. Let me ask you a question. If A happens, is God in control? If B happens, is God in control? Worry about it. Seems so simple, doesn't it? But yet we sit there and we will dwell on it over and paralyze us from going forward. And ultimately, what does Satan do? It says he still kills, destroys. And let me just tell you something. I looked up WebMD, a being does to people, and I, I turned it off real quick. I couldn't handle it. Pages and pages of what worry does to the body, the physical body of what takes place to deep depression. It goes into to like give stomach issues and, and headaches and all the I mean, I'm, I've come to the conclusion that worry is like every symptom of everything imaginable. But it says in Scripture that Satan comes to still kill and destroy so what happens when we worry about, well, well, you know, we'll never be good enough or we'll never be worth enough. Well, it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this in the voice of truth. It says, for I Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Well, if you're sitting here worried, I'll never be good enough. But the scripture, the voice of truth says, it's no longer you who lives anyways. It's Christ who lives in you. But yet we'll get focused on the former old self and all the things of our past. And yet we will become paralyzed and not move forward in sharing the gospel. Which is what Paul is ultimately telling Timothy to do. Is to endure the hardships and share the gospel of Jesus. And don't be fearful as you do it. There's so many things that we can even worry about. You know, people uh, going back to the idea that what, what about my finances? And, and I, you know, God, I've got to do this and that. And th Listen, Psalms 50 says God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. If God owns it all, then why are we worried about it? That doesn't mean don't make smart decisions. That doesn't mean seek the wisdom from, from the word of God. But yet when we worry about it, listen, God says that he's going to take care of us. It's the voice of truth. We must know the voice of truth. If we do not know the voice of truth, then how will we refute the, 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 the father of all lies? Let me tell you what fear is. Fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence that appears real. So if it's false evidence, that means it's not real evidence. And if it's false, that means it's a lie. And who's the father of all lies? The devil. 
So when we allow ourselves to to walk into a spirit of fear or cowardice or, or timidity, we are allowing ourselves to believe the father of all lies versus the father of truth. We're saying, I'm going to believe and put more validity in something that has never been true. And you say, David, that, that just seems so easy. And, but, but, but it seems so real in the moment. Has anybody ever been there where you're just worried, you're stressed out, you're going through all the emotions of it, and it just seems so real in the moment? See, I believe that the evil one takes something like fear that is a natural occurrence in our body. It tells you that there's danger ahead. Like if you stand over here, some of you are already getting nervous when I stand right here. But if I was up 100 feet in the air looking over, my body naturally is going to have like a little bit of fear in my stomach. Because I'm going to see the height of what's taking place. That's natural. And so the evil one says, you know, I'm going to take what, what's so good and, and natural to, to them and I'm going to twist it and manipulate it and I'm going to allow them to have that fear and worry and it's going to them. It's going to keep you from sharing the gospel of Jesus. So it says, David, it's like, like you, human knowledge tells me that, that all these things, you know, like it's, it's going to take place. I mean, it's so real to me. All these worries and fears are so real. But see, God's First Corinthians chapter 1 says God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. And so the real question is, is will you trust God's wisdom voice over man's wisdom over the father of all lies? For some of us today, we just need to lay down worries and fears at the foot of the cross. There's a song that I heard for the first time confirmation that I was supposed to speak this today. In the chorus of the song, it says, My worries have to meet the God I know. Your worries in your life has to meet the God you know. And let me tell you something, the God you know will always win. Who says that? If it wasn't the case, then what's the problem with the scripture? So let me ask you, will today be a day that the worries in your life collide with the God that you know and what happen? Those worries will dissipate. They Lies can never stand against the truth. Do it. And so will you worries to collide with the God that you know? See, God says in, in, in verse 7, he says, For not given us a spirit of t- timidity, which means God has given us something. The word given there, I think about the fact that God has ultimately given his son, verse 5, the faith that Timothy has. Praise God for the son, for Jesus Christ. If it was not for him, this scripture right here wouldn't even make sense to us. If it wasn't for the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ dying on the cross that we may be transformed from death to life, then, then, then this part of, of giving wouldn't even make sense. But it says God has given us power, love, and discipline. So let me ask you this question. Is there power in your life? Is there power in your life? Or are you paralyzed to fear? So let's just run through a few scriptures on power. Luke 4.14 says this. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about Him spread All the surrounding districts. The power of the Holy Spirit was with Jesus. In Acts 1.8 it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. And even to the remotest parts of the earth. This word power is dynamite, explosive. It's huge. 
But yet, so often we look so weak. It's because we have to tap in to yield to the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 10.38, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit with power, and how He went out doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. It says that, that, that Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit doing miracles. Romans chapter 15, 18 through 19 says this, For I will not presume to speak of anything except for Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in obedience of the Gentiles by the word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far um, as Lystrum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4, my, my life verse. It says, my message and preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. Ephesians 3.16 says this. It says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5 says, not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. It shows here that Jesus had the power. It shows here that, that, that God has bestowed power. The dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what that power does. It brings dead lives to life. Let me tell you what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It strengthens us to stand in boldness against fear. See, when, when, when all of a sudden fear, we become paralyzed. But when we seek the voice of truth and we know the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is in us and it goes forth and it gives us power to, and to go forth throughout this city and share the gospel of you go. It's not through you. It's not through me. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we move and go throughout and do the work of the evangelist here in the city. It's His power that gives us boldness. And say, David, I'm lacking in boldness. I'm a little bit timid to get up. Asking God to show and reveal to you the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. I'm not sitting here saying like, like well, we're going to value, like you, have a, you, you need to grow up a little bit over here or you need to look like is, is that I want people in every moment, every day, every second to say, God, give me strength and give me power to stand against the schemes of the evil one that wants to bring about worry and fear on me. You know, I hear this all the time. Well, I was going to share the gospel with somebody, but I was afraid I would offend them. Well, first off, when you say you are afraid of something and you're not fearing God, we got a problem. You fear that you're going to offend them. Well, what are you going to offend them with? As Brother Fred says, hell number two. But it's the fear has now stopped you from walking in boldness to speak the gospel. It's the fear that, that, that you're going to do something to somebody to hurt them. But in reality, what are you bringing them? But you're bringing them life. You're bringing them the, the, the bread of God. You're bringing them the water that, that, that will never run dry. You're bringing them the truth of the gospel. But yet you're saying that you're afraid that you're going to offend them. I'm telling you, that's the fear of the evil one of people pleasing. We're so fearful that we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. And listen, I believe in relational ministry, but relational ministry cannot be a crutch to never share the gospel. See, in relational ministry, I hear people say, well, I've got too big of a relationship now to hurt them. 
to hurt them. How are you hurting somebody by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? See, you've allowed these, these things of the evil one to slip into our mind to, to paralyze us from speaking the gospel of Jesus. We need to have boldness in the power of God as we walk throughout the city. Listen, we have something so much greater and bigger than people could ever understand. It's, it's life and death. But yet, we would sit back and say, I don't know. Paul tells Timothy, hey, Remember, I see your sincere faith and you have the gifts that God has bestowed upon you. Walk in boldness. I look at the congregation today and I see your sincere faith and I know that God has granted gifts to each of you and now I ask and I cry out to you, walk in boldness. Walk in boldness. You know, if you woke up this morning and the power was out, you may look out your window to see if the power's out on the whole street and it's dark on your whole street. All of a sudden, your alarms don't work, right? That could be bad. Uh, or even worse, the coffee maker doesn't start to percolate, right? Or you're trying to get dressed in the dark, you know, for all of us. And we don't have flashlights. We have cell phones. Sooner or later, they won't even know. For some ways. So anyway, so it gets dark and, and you can't see and you're trying to get everything together. And, and, and then, you know, it's really just a nuisance a little bit of power. But let me tell you something. When we don't of God, we don't bring the light to the world. And you talk about not having coffee being a bad day. Let me tell you, not having the light of Christ is a bad day. And when the light of Christ is not shining in the city, let me tell you, darkness begins to infiltrate the city. Listen, um... I believe that God has told us to be thermostats in the city and not the. You know, all a thermometer does is tells you what the cold is. It tells you what the temperature is. Like house, if it's 70 degrees in my house, it's going to take 70 degrees. But I believe God's called us to be thermostats. You know why? Because thermostat sets the temperature. And I believe that by the God coming through us, that we are to set the temperature and not sit back and just tell the city, oh, what's rough in here? It's pretty bad. Like, why are we just telling people it's bad? Why aren't we with the power of God going forth in the city and doing the work of the evangelist? We can sit in our churches all day long and talk about how bad it is, or we can go out into the streets, the highways and byways, in our jobs, in the places that we shop, and the places and the people we run into, and with the power of God going before us, we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's a sincere faith, faith that's in you and the gifts of the Spirit that God has blessed upon you. It says, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. I love this scripture. Many of y'all know it by heart probably, or at least portions of it. It says this, beloved. I'm going to look on my, I'm going to read it out of my Bible. Just. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Hey, if God's given you a spirit of love, then that means you know God. Because it says in Scripture that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. The word in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is agape, unconditional love. 
God has given us the spirit of love, which is ultimately Him. He is love. God is love. Unconditional love of the Father. He's placed that in our hearts. And it says here, right here, let's just keep going, verse 9. By this love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Listen, what are we to do in this city? But allow the power and the boldness to stand forth to speak the gospel and the truth and to allow the love of the Father to come forth out of our mouth. God is love. He's placed that agape, unconditional love in our hearts. But let me tell you something. You can't love this city unless you first love God. Until you understand the love of the Father bestowed upon you, then you begin to truly love people. I shared, the God, I, I shared a, 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 a sermon about three years ago about speaking truth in love. And we've got to remember that when we speak truth, in boldness, that we must also love people. That doesn't mean that you love them and not speak truth. That's entitling them into sin. And that doesn't mean that you speak truth and not love. That means that you're just taking a sword and just slashing people. What it means is that you realize who's coming against the people in this city who don't know Jesus. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that they are children of wrath. And so we know the father of all lies, the one who's trying to keep us worried and fearful so that we won't go and share the gospel. We know that's the one we're coming against. We love the person and we speak the truth of the gospel against the demonic warfare over this city. God gave us an unconditional agape love and he places it in us so that we may go forth and share with others the love of the father. Listen, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, I believe in the Trinity, the triune God. I believe that they are one in of each other. And so when God says that He is love and He bestows upon us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, that we understand in that moment the love of the Father, the agape, unconditional love. And then it says this in verse 18. This is key. You've got to see this in verse 18 of 1 John chapter 4. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love. Cast out fear. You know what's interesting to me about this? Is 2 Timothy chapter 2, I mean chapter 1 verse 7 says that God hasn't given you fear, but He's given you a spirit of love. What does perfect love do? Cast out fear. Isn't it interesting, isn't it cool when the Bible just kind of just runs together like that? God's saying, hey, I've given you the agape, unconditional love of the Father. And when you yield to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, the love of the Father that dwells inside of you, guess what's going to happen? The fear, the spirit of fear is going to run because the darkness can never stand in the light. God's given you a spirit of power. He's given you the love, the agape, unconditional love of the Father. And then I want you to see at the end of this scripture in Second uh, Timothy, it says this. He's not given you uh, a spirit of fear, of timidity, but a power, love. And some of your scriptures say sound mind or discipline. 
Let me just kind of expand this for you for a second. Paul reminds Timothy that God has given us the power to keep our mind in check. God's given us the power to keep our mind in check. He's given us a spirit, the power, love, and discipline, sound mind, to keep our mind focused on the things of this world, I mean, of of Him, excuse me, to keep our minds focused on the King and the King alone. He's given us the ability to keep our mind in check, and ultimately it's the disciplines in our lives that we place in that the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do. I share people all the time whenever I'm talking about disciplines, about the 11 months that I trained for the full Ironman. 140.6 miles and I had to train for 11 months to get my body to a position to where it could actually run 140 miles in 17 hours. Not just run, swim, bike, and run. But it was 11 months of 20 hours a week. I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and start biking until 8 o'clock in the morning, get a shower, and be here to the office by 8.30, 8.45. And that was almost every morning for 11 months. You say, David, why would you do it? Because I was determined that on race day that I would finish. I was determined to get myself in a position that I could handle the obstacle that was coming my way. So let me ask you something. If God has given you a spirit of discipline in your life, then why are we not disciplining our bodies in order that we will, will be able to run the race that God has called us to run? Flip open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the airs. But I discipline my body that, and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified. Paul says right here, he says, hey, I'm disciplining my body so that I won't be disqualified. You say, Dave, how did he discipline? I guarantee you that he was waking up and, and falling on his face and praying, crying out to God. I guarantee you that part of it was waking up and and diving in the Word of God, realizing that Deuteronomy chapter 8 says that man cannot live by bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. I truly believe that, that it was through the fellowship of other people, believers coming together and, and, and just sharing life together, that these are the disciplines that he was putting in his life so that he would be ready in season and out of season, that he'd be ready at any moment to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to give an account for what God has done. See, that's the reason why I, when it says that God's given us a, a spirit of power and love and discipline, What I see here is this, is that God is telling us that we discipline ourselves so that we're ready at any moment for the power of God to come forth from our life and to watch dry bones come to life. See, we don't get in that moment and say, oh no, I can't do this. We don't get in that moment and say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody. We don't get in that moment and say, well, I just can't, you know, I'm just going to live life and it's, it's, it's about what, you know, I'm just going to be comfortable. No, we say in the boldness of Jesus Christ and Christ alone, I'm going to take the gospel to the city because I've disciplined my life that I'm ready to go at any moment. Whenever I think about discipline, I think about horses. You know, when a horse is born, they're, they're usually wild. Well, they're always wild. 
And anybody in here knows that, most of you know that you have to train a horse. You have to discipline a horse day in and day out for them to be able to do whatever you are asking them to do. There was a horse that many of you may know named Secretariat. And when Secretariat was born, everybody said that, you know, like, it may be able to win a few races and this and that, but it would never be that awesome racehorse that could win. So then next thing you know that Secretariat had won one, one race, and then they had won the second, he was going for the Triple Crown. And everybody knows that, that this breed of horses really had a very difficult time of going the distance, the long distance. But through discipline, through training, through lack of fear because of his discipline and because of his training, this right here is what happens. Secretary is sprinting away. Four legs. Six. Nine. He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. see that video right there it said that he feared not and though he was the underdog and all of a sudden he takes off and he gets past so many links 40 plus links ahead whenever I see that I begin to weep because I think of this through the power discipline and love of the father the one that's coming behind keeps falling further and further behind. The more that I yield to the king and the more that I discipline my life, I realize that Paul is speaking to Timothy here saying this. Because of the faith that's in you, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. God's gifted you with everything you need. And so I command you, I implore you to move forward with power and boldness. 
giving forth the agape, unconditional love of the Father to the city that you're in, and disciplining your body so that it knows the truth of the gospel, the word, so that you may go forth and run the race that God's called you. And the very next scripture says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the suffering that you will encounter. He says, because of everything that you have, because of everything that you've been given and the power that God's given you, there's no reason to be paralyzed in fear. Even when suffering comes your way, don't be paralyzed. Move forward in the gospel of Jesus.